Let's get ready to rumble! Hello and welcome to Netflix vs. Cinema, the podcast that goes to the cinema every week, sees a couple of things, stays at home, sees a couple of things, maybe TV series, maybe films, um, rates them all out of five and sees where our money has been better spent this week. This week we're going to try and be nice and efficient because one of us has a quickly dying phone battery and needs to talk about some stuff. So, joining me as always on the Isle of Wight is Sharon Bolland. Hello. Sean Harris, owner of the said rapidly dying phone. And a London <laughs> correspondent, Holly Nesling. Hello. Right, and we are going to fire straight into this. No, no, well, and please bear with us as you will figure out what films we're going to be talking about this week. And we are going to kick off with the wonderfully titled Cocaine Bear, which both Sean and Sharon saw in cinemas. So which one of you wants to take away and tell us what this is about? Is it okay if I... If I oh, Sharon yeah. can take it away. What do you want? Yeah, no. No, you do so, it, Shawnee. Okay, this is based on a, a story in the 80s, so it takes place in the 1980s, where um, there was a like a they, a plane would come and they they drop bags of cocaine into the Chattanoogee forest, and then they to to be reclaimed later. But an accident happens, and the the chap who jumps out the plane and kicks all the stuff out the plane as an accident. So you've got all this uh, all these bags of cocaine scattered around the forest, and you know. Bears are pretty, pretty curious creatures, aren't they? Really? So you know, they're gonna have a, a little snuffle around and see what's, what's, um, what's going on. And then there's a, a side story with, you've got like a couple, a couple of school-aged children that decide to skip school and go into the forest to, um, as they were supposed to paint the waterfall. And uh, so off they go. The, the the kids go into the forest. You've got some, you've got a park ranger who's like. Really, <laughs> yeah, you've got a park ranger who's, who's okay, but she's got a rather big magnum gun. Um, so you've got all these characters building up. You've got the Ray Liotta's last film, and um, yeah, yeah, so yeah, you've got these, these bunch of crooks, obviously, like that need to go to to reclaim the stuff. You know, Ray Liotta's like, we've got to get this stuff back, and uh, so it's all setting up. And then you've got you've got a group of like punk kids that that rob people and stuff, and so but they're then. <laughs> So anyway, it all sets up for this like, oh, there's a bear in the in the forest. So you've got all these different groups. Oh yeah, and there's a policeman as well that's that's after catching them. And um Yeah, so I mean it's based Yeah, go on. I was just gonna say, Sean, I know I don't have that much time, but I just have to say that every time, without fail, whenever I hear the premise of this film, I just break out in a grin. It's just a pretty it's just hilarious. Well as a premise, as a premise. Put it this way, I went to see it on Monday. Yeah. And then a couple of friends were going to see it on Tuesday. And so I went to, with them to watch it again. So I have seen actually seen it twice. Oh, yeah. Um, in succession in succession of days. Yeah. And um, it's, it's, oh, it's just hokum fun. <laughs> it's just like hokum fun. It's pretty, you know, I mean, you've got like the, I think it's in the trade as well, but you've got like the, the you know, lot. it's very bloody. There's a lot of, yeah, lot of, yeah, yeah. A lot of limbs flying about and all that. There, there, there's there's a lot of shots in the trailer that you're like, there is no yeah, way like that it. does not end with somebody's yeah. limb being ripped off. Uh, there's no way you're editing that yeah. in which that doesn't end with that character being dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, you you know me, you know my little foibles with like what yeah. you know things that have got to be right, right. Well, I quite I thought this was, and all right, maybe some of the characters overdone, but I quite liked it because I thought some of the things that were happening could actually happen and I could relate to some of those characters. In fact, what was really funny yesterday, when I come out of the, or oh, sorry, Tuesday, was when I come out of the cinema, there were some ex-students who looked just like the punks in the forest. And it was quite funny. <laughs> I didn't realize that they could, have, they could have been in that movie and they were like, yeah, you know, they had the, they were really friendly, obviously, but. And, um, oh, but listen, I, but I just showing going, oh, when I was a teacher, if only I had a, yeah, a, yeah. a bear that was fueled on cocaine. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, some yeah. students. I mean, I mean, I've, I well, yeah, I, I had a great time with this movie. I really did. I mean, I was a bit sceptical. I thought, what's going on? But I just, I just, I had a really, really good time. I was laughing, especially with the, you know, the, the, the bear. I thought, it was, I thought it was terrifically well done. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what Sharon's thoughts were on it. And I don't know what. Okay, so no, Sharon. I, I, I haven't seen yeah, I saw it as well. Um, I thought it was very funny, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hilarious. There were some scenes with the, the, the sort of the ranger, and well, some of 
yeah, some of the scenes were just, they weren't generally laugh out loud funnies. I think at one point I was the only one laughing in the cinema <laughs> because it just one scene particularly where someone got shot by mistake. Yeah, that's just I, really funny. <laughs> i tell you what comes to mind. I don't suppose any of you guys have ever seen Sausage Party, have you? Oh, I have no. totally seen Sausage. I have seen Sausage Party, yeah. Yeah, well, you know the bit with the, if you imagine, do you remember the bit with like the little bit of chewing gum in the wheelchair? And it comes out, goes do, 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 do. And he's like, no, you probably don't remember that bit. But anyway, no, it's like that. that. Yeah. So, so <laughs> no. but yeah, that yeah, reminded there me. There were some funny scenes in it. There. The characters funny. were a real mixed bunch. Yeah. Um, some of them were quite, were more comic than others. Like there's like a wildlife surveyor who was, uh, he was just like a panto. <laughs> sort of <character. laughs> he was really, yeah. He was, yeah, he was, there was, there was, it was, was funny because part of me was thinking, is this supposed to be this funny or is it just, and, and it, it accidentally this funny but i think yeah i think it was like this black sort of horror comedy but yeah i I thought it was funny i think i think the leg bit was the best (laughs) with the bear you know in the cocaine it was like it was almost like yeah you know that's funny man i i i I, i'm not big on thing but yeah this was i laughed both times i saw this and i laughed Um, i'm actually i'm really really happy to hear that because i was had high hopes for this film and so far the reviews have not been that great so, so like, oh, right, okay. Yeah, the, okay. The, reviews, the reviews have not been that great. So I'm actually really, really happy to hear this because I was thinking that I, I was hoping it was not going to be another one of those wastes of a great premise. Like, Sean, you know, the last time we recorded, I was talking about how, yeah. like, there was a TV show that had a great premise that wasted it. I was hoping this wasn't yeah. going to be a waste of a great premise. So, so with this, I know that it has like a. Funny enough, you say that. Funny enough, you say that, Toes, bad reviews. I mean, I got the IMDb thing up for me and I was just sort of got it up because I thought I'm sat, sat by a computer and it's like 8 out of 10, 8 out of 10, 8 out of 10. Oh, cool. So audience score. Audience score is quite high. Nine out of ten. Eight out of ten. Unexpected, incredible, funny movie that does not insult intelligence. All right. So that's what I like. That is what I like. All right, cool. And because it has this big, massive, sprawling, diverse cast... And it looks, and it always made me think of a, when I saw the cast and I saw some of the trailers, it made me think of like a Coen Brothers movie like Fargo or something like that, only with a uh, bear fueled on cocaine in the middle of it. it does that, well, does that well, hold or not? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I think, see, for me, I think Fargo's an overrated movie. It's one of yeah, my overrated on that. films. I um, on that, yeah. but, you know, everybody raves about it. I don't think it's that good. The best Coen Brothers film, I think, was The Man That Never Was, I think, or something like that. But, um. The man who that wasn't might have been there, a good yeah. Film. The man who wasn't there, that's the one. Yeah. That's the that's the best. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's highly overrated Fargo. So yeah, no, this far out past Fargo. I didn't really laugh too much in Fargo, but at this, I was like enjoying <laughs> yeah, it I've... every minute of it. Even the, I mean, even at the end, because you've got like a family of bears, haven't you? Which sort <laughs> yeah. of, and and towards the end, you've got like a family of bears, and you've got the the mum and the two kids. That are, so it's almost like a, oh, I don't know, oh, okay. So yeah, there's a lot. Okay, there's so, a lot, so, lot in this movie, and because it's '80s, the fashions are really good, and it just was like, yeah, this is you know they they were a bit exaggerated, but you could definitely see it. The '80s, it had that real '80s feel about it. All right, okay. So how many how many stars does all this enjoyment um, translate well, to? Well, for me, from a personal point, I mean, I don't know if it's worth it, but for me, from a personal point, I've got to give this four because I've seen it twice, and both times I thoroughly enjoyed it. So. So this has to get a four from me. All right, Sharon. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was very funny, but I'd give it a three. I think it was. Yeah, it's funny. I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, but it is what it is. It was. <laughs> it was like a cross between. So you're laughing now, Sharon. That doesn't happen horror. very often. If you can no, come out I... of a movie, if you can come out of a movie still chuckling, and then get nearly home, and then you can start chuckling again with bits. And then, yeah. you know, especially the legs. Some funny the, moments. Yeah. With, with well, there the was a couple of leg incidents. There was one, I think. Well, there's just a few, there's a few like sort of body horror moments where uh, um, yeah. people sort of like uh, see <laughs> limbs missing like, and they sort of go. And, and, <laughs> and what about the ambulance one? What about the ambulance? The ambulance well? yeah. I, I have <laughs> heard about this ambulance scene. I've heard about this. Amb- yeah. Like people say that it's like the best action set piece in the film. All right. I, I look forward to the, when my family lets me out of the house or when I can sort of like, you know, squirrel a couple of hours. Away, I look forward to hopefully maybe seeing Cocaine Bear. So that's Cocaine Bear. Three and a half stars is our is our aggregate score for that, and now we go over to Netflix and Friends. And Sean, because obviously we're 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 chasing your battery here, we go over to yeah. you, and we go over to 1923. And this gets a little bit confusing because Sharon reviewed a related TV series, which was 1883. Yes, which is the um, yeah. the first prequel. Yeah, I get, get confused. 
I'm confused about this. First prequel to Yellowstone, and then now this is another prequel to Yellowstone, but a sequel to 1883, which is 1923. This one starring Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren. Sean, tell us what it was about. Okay, so this is this is eight episodes. I mean, I really, it's like I said, I know Sharon in, in the 1883, Sharon reviewed that, but I saw that on the plane coming back from, when I was back from America, I watched the whole, the whole series and I really enjoyed it. So I was really up for this. And... It does disappoint. So basically, it's it's a time when you know you're starting to get uh, automobiles, and you're starting. To, really, it's the turn of um, of the old west. So, but Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren, they still run a ranch. You know, beef ranch. They've still got cowboys. There's a bunch of them. They've got a family, um, and then there's some sheep farmers. There's a couple of incidents that go on, and they they basically it's like a lynching. But one of the people that was lynched was survive, and he teams up with with a mining company. And so basically, it's um, it's yeah, it's just a conflict between the new world. You know, all these things have got fridges. All their houses will have electricity from that day. Also, there is another. There's a there's another side thing to this. One of the sons, one of the Dutton sons, he is in, in Africa as a big game hunter. So oh yeah, and um, he he sort of because of the stuff goes on, some people get killed in the family. He gets a letter. And um, so it's and, and so it's a little bit of a journey back. He has to make a journey back from Africa and he meets this English girl, really, really posh English girl who is absolutely first class. And I didn't realize she was she was an American, but she plays a really high class society, high society English lady. Um, and she's she's engaged to a high class Englishman, but she falls in love with this and. Uh, with the hunter and they go and she wants to go with him and then so you've got you've got and another side plot is there's a catholic they're they're trying to um with with native americans they're being they're sort of trying to get them there they call them heathens and they are horrible they are foul they are just these nuns and priests are just the foulest people you could possibly think of they torture and they're cruel oh trying trying to convert them to get them more civilized yeah that's it yes so get the heathen out of them. You know, they, they sort of bathe them with wire brushes and things. Um, anyway, so without being too many spoilers, there's an incident and one of the girls does something and she takes off and then three priests go after her and then you've got um, the deputies that go after her. So there's a bit of this manhunt thing. She goes into, yeah. It's, so there's there's like three threads running through this film. There's a Native American thread. There's the, the Duttons. And there's this one ways in Africa, and it's blooming brilliant. It's an absolutely brilliant series. I can't wait. I, I can't wait for the next one to come because it's got really, really exciting. Lots of All action, right. really believable, and um, the the relationship between the English girl. I, think, I can't think of the actress now. Let's see if I can find is that. The, is the is the is the English girl called Elizabeth Strafford? That sounds about right. Yes. Yes. Uh, Michelle Michelle Randolph is the actress. Michelle Randolph, right. So she's um oh yeah, here we go. So yeah. Totally and I mean for me Yeah, because because usually we hear that the other way around is like, Oh, I didn't realise they were British. They did such a good usually uh, what I get a lot more nowadays is you see somebody you see some somebody in a new show and you're like, Oh my god, that's a good American actress. You look them up. They're Australian Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, that's that's the whole thing. But the actual relationship between the two of them the relationship between the two of them is so convincing, really, really incredibly convincing that they are like just totally in love. And there's some incidents, obviously, they get, um, they just happen to get one of the passages on one of the ships is, or they actually get married on a ship, but one of the passages, the family, her ex-fiance is on this. And she goes, we're still going to go to the captain's table. She gets all dressed up and there's, there's an incident and they have to, the the, the sort of, the British ship goes, this is the British ship. We've had the thing. We're going to have to dump you off. You know, we, we can't stay here. And we're going. So, yeah, so there's a lot of, um, it's terrific. It's terrific. Really, really, really top class. Top class series. Loving it. All right. Oh, cool. So how many episodes is it? Do you remember? Eight episodes. There's eight episodes. Um, this is, this is on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because, um, because I had a friend asking me earlier this week. He was, he's based in America. And he was like, oh, have you seen Yellowstone yet? And I was like, yeah. no, it's on Paramount Plus. That's another streaming platform, and I do not yeah. have money to go. You see, I haven't, I, haven't seen Yellow, I haven't seen Yellowstone, but you've seen Yellowstone, haven't you, Sharon? Only have some you of them, because 
No, I've only because I watched 1883 first, then I started to watch Yellowstone. Um, right. But again, my subscription to I only had it on a temporary basis. Free. Yeah. It was free for so many months, and I didn't get around to watching it at all. Get your brother. Get your brother to to do my the free. My brother's watched yeah. them all. My brother's watched all of Yellowstone. Oh right, okay, Yellowstone. Yeah, but I was going to say you could get. You could, uh, oh right, okay. Yeah, but so no, this is a terrific series. There's eight episodes. As I say, there's there's three storylines. Um, it's incredibly well. You can well get a free seven-day trial, but whether yeah. I'd be able to commit to a free seven-day trial and then do nothing else but watch the television for seven days, I don't know uh, if I can yeah, commit to that. I'm still I think on it's my... one of those ones. I think it's one of those ones you can you binge binge watch. I mean, I was watching it as. Um, you know, I had to wait for each episode, so and I couldn't sort of wait. And the last one was this week, so, and I thought there was going to be some more, but I I only realised this week that that was the the final the, the the last episode. Episode eight was the last episode, yeah. So I've been saving this one, but yeah, yeah no, it's absolutely first class, top, really, really good series. Really, really enjoying it. You've okay. even got old um, who was in the Living Daylights, Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton is a horrible, <laughs> horrible, rich, incredibly nasty miner. He does that you very know, well. He, and <laughs> Timothy he Dalton does. He does really, really nasty. He does. He does horrible, nasty, rich man very, very well. Yeah, very well. Sinister. Oh, yeah. I don't know what, why. What was that? He said he's slightly sinister looking at times. I think that's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it can be. I mean, it, it, that's that's what works for him. Like even him, even in Hot Fuzz, which is ostensibly a comedy, you can look at him and just go, "Yeah, he's sinister. There's something. There's something up with him." And like uh, Penny Dreadful, he veered between sort of good and bad in that, didn't he? Yeah. Ooh, I, he was in the last season of The Crown. He was really good. He shows up for one episode of the last season of The Crown, and he's he manages to turn that thing, like that nastiness thing, off for forty five minutes. But I can also yes, see um, that this. I remember with Flash Gordon. Prince somebody. Prince. I don't remember what his name was. Yeah, Prince. Flash Gordon was like the only other, uh, the only other place I'd seen Timothy Dalton in, apart from <laughs> him as Bond, was Flash Gordon and and, yeah. and the TV series of Jane Eyre. He played Mr. Say, he Rochester. He was the best right. Mr. Rochester as Jane in <laughs> yeah, Jane Eyre. My yes. favorite version of Jane Eyre. Well, that was the random... You know how I always tell you how we got random stuff in Nigeria when I was growing up? Yeah. We randomly had that version of Jane Eyre on TV in, in Nigeria when I was growing up. And I never understood it. I think I, I think they showed it out of sequence or something like that. So I, I could never <laughs> that follow that story. Sense. I was like, what no. the hell? This is boring as anything. But well, That is my favorite version of Jane Eyre. But I have to say, I have to say, um, there is one person in this cast who is rapidly becoming, for me, a signal of, this is quality, got to watch it, she's in it. And that is Jennifer L. Mm. Jennifer L has just I mean because obviously she was known as the Elizabeth Bennett to Colin Firth and Mr. Darcy and she she has never really had like you know an A-list career where she's the number one name on there but she kept, she just keeps popping up in all these different things like in Contagion and in the King's Speech and all that and I actually I really like Jennifer L and I think that if she's in something I will give it a go so maybe yeah. one of these days Was it House that? of Elliot? She originally started in House of Elliot? which is going back a lifetime, and it was sort of costume drama about her and a sister who I were... Think, no, I think that was designers. someone else. Is it someone? I, did, I did watch House of Elliot. She was must have been in it. I was she was in She Said, wasn't she? And she as one of the victims. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, and all of the... Um, all of the shades. Things, yeah. Ugh, okay, okay. You, you just made me take back what I said. <laughs> I, I, okay, fine. I won't watch anything that Jennifer L is in. <laughs> good people, disconcertingly, in Fifty Shades. Many of them. It's just... I just... I hope... They're in awfulness. I hope that they are still counting their money. That's all I can say. Like, like, <laughs> I, I like, hope all the people, in, all the good people in Fifty Shades are still counting their money. Anyway, we forgot to ask how many stars for 1923. Okay. Um. Well, out of the... Criteria. I don't think I've ever given this for a series before, but I was totally engrossed in it. I was totally, you know, I wasn't like, and I mean, bearing in mind you watch this at home and you can get yeah. distracted sometimes. I was totally focused on it. I really enjoyed it. I thought the acting was first class. So this is going to be my, I don't think I've ever given a streaming service a five before, but I'm going to give this one a five. I'm going to stick my neck on the line and say it's a five. Already and straight away, Paramount Plus goes above Netflix and Sean's estimation. So... <laughs> All right, cool. So that is a five for 1923. And now we go over to what is probably the biggest film of this week, but we decided to sort of like, you know, fight Sean's battery. So we're going to talk yeah. about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. 
Now, this is the latest, the 30-something. I think we're now into the 30s in the number of Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. I think this is actually the 31st movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And this is the third Ant-Man movie. And quite frankly, if you're not with the Marvel Cinematic Universe at this point, you probably never are going to be, and you probably really don't care. But uh, but they have all these things where you have the one big franchise, which is the MCU. Then within that, you have tiny little franchises. And like, so Ant-Man is his own franchise. And this kicks off where you meet um, Ant-Man, Scott Lang, in the aftermath of everything that happened in Endgame. And he has written a book about what he's done and, like, and the fact that he's like, yes, I was Ant-Man, I was an Avenger, I helped save the world because of me. That's why you're all here and all that kind of... And he has like a book deal and he's a bit of a celebrity and you can... And he starts off and he starts off with this whole thing about how life is good and there's this montage of how life is good for him and all that. And but then you have his daughter. His daughter sorry, were you gonna say something, Sean? No, 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 no. Sorry, I'm just eating a corn crisp because okay. I haven't eaten <laughs> yeah. dinner yet. <laughs> yeah, you have his short his daughter Cassie, who is now played by Catherine Newton. She has been recast, I think, three three, maybe four times <laughs> in all the Atman movies. She's now played by Catherine Newton. And she has, uh, she is more of a, of an activist, a little bit like the, if you remember when we first met Scott Lang in the first Ant-Man movie, how he was an activist, how he couldn't get a job because he'd done something to stick something to a big corporation. And she's now going along and like, you know, railing against the 1%. And there's this whole thing at the beginning of the film where they're talking about the fact that he's given up as a hero and he isn't actually doing anything to help anybody. He's just helping himself. And he's like, yeah, boy, save the world. And they're like, yeah, yeah, but what have you done lately? <laughs> And you can see that there's this sort of family that has built up with with the original Ant-Man, um, Hank Pym, his wife, Jennifer Van Dyne, their daughter, Hope Van Dyne, who is in a relationship with Scott Lang and Scott Lang's. So there's this sort of like little family dynamic. They have this sort of little ant family going on. And it turns out that his daughter, um, his daughter, Cassie, has been, is beginning to get into science and has been tinkering some stuff that Hank Pym has been helping her with. And Ant-Man has always been worried about the quantum realm, which is where Jennifer Van Dyne was trapped for a while. And she doesn't tell anybody about what happened when she was in the quantum realm. She refuses to talk about it. And so they build this thing to send a signal to the quantum realm. She's like, what? You send a signal to the quantum realm? Turn it off! Turn it off! But something happens. They send a signal to the quantum realm. Something sends a signal back, and then they all get sucked into the quantum realm. And that's where the film goes on. So the whole film is set in this quantum realm, which is tiny. It is subatomic. It is, and you go in there, and it is weird. And that's the main thing about the quantum realm is that it is weird. And this is where I think the film goes. This is one of the things I love about this film. I love about this film that it 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 totally embraces the fact that the quantum realm is weird. And it uses the fact that the quantum realm is weird to, weird to do this, or to do all this stuff that they probably wouldn't be able to get away with otherwise. For instance, there is a character in Marvel who is, for many people's saying, he's one of the dumbest characters in all of Marvel's history. One of the dumbest characters in all of Marvel's history, but he is extremely popular. And people have been saying, when is this guy going to show up in the film? When is this guy going to show up in the film? And the quantum realm is probably about the only place they could have brought this character in. And they and they totally lean into that. They lean into that. They bring this character in. The way they even bring him into the story to make it make sense with the Ant-Man thing, I actually quite liked. I thought it was funny. And I was very, very much prepared to have a conversation with you guys as to whether Marvel has had his day and whether Marvel has started running out of steam. And I really enjoyed this. I was sitting down there waiting for the moment where there was going to, like, there's, like, I think in some of the recent films, like Thor, Love and Thunder had this moment. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness had this moment where you're watching the film and there's a moment where you just kind of go, oh, oh no. Oh, I think this might be going bad from this point on. Toes, I do think there is one thing in this, which I found, I think it was in, the one where where the vision gets stabbed. I can't remember what that was. Whether it was yeah, that was, the, that was in Endgame. That was no, that was Infinity Endgame. War. Infinity War, yeah. So Infinity War. So in um, to me there was. I just had the. I, I, I'm with you on this. You know, I mean, I, I I did enjoy it, but I just thought it was inconsistent with the power of some person that was earlier in the movie. It's like, well, if you've got those powers, you know what I mean. It's, it's like, yeah. So you've got this super powerful being that suddenly becomes not quite so super powerful, you know? Did you understand what I mean? I I, I understand what you mean. There there are a couple of bits. There are a couple of bits where, like, uh, one of the things that gets me is that, okay, so Ant-Man's power is to go big or small. And then when you go into the quantum realm, does that power still mean anything? (laughs) 
king because now you're, you're now smaller than you've ever been before. And and this is and the the and this is the thing where why I really like this film. I enjoy this film. I was carried all the way through to the end of this film without having anything where I thought, okay, now I'm out of it. Now I'm out of it. There were there were minor quibbles, but and I think so at the moment everything everywhere all at once. That's being talked about for Oscars and everything like that. And that's because it was that film is untethered. It is untethered in almost every single sense of the word. It's just unhinged. And you had Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which did something similar to Everything Everywhere All at Once. But it had to keep coming back to this Marvel thing. It had to keep coming back to this, and it couldn't go too crazy because you know that there's this bigger story that they still have to sort of link to. And in Ant-Man and the Wars, you can still, I mean, in Quantumania, you can feel bits where it's trying to go all crazy and trying to go all gonzo. And, you know, they give you, okay, cool, look at this. We're going to give you this guy that everybody has to drink. There's a guy who everybody drinks, quite frankly. There's a guy with a broccoli head. There's a guy who has a laser for a face. And they give you all this crazy stuff. But I, you can almost feel it pulling back and going, but, uh, yeah, you know, we still have to make this make sense because we still have to link this. And there's going to be this bad guy called Kang. And he's going to be the new Thanos. And he's going to come in other films. So we're going to have to pull it back a little bit because we're going to give you this story. But the story kind of isn't really going to go anywhere because there's a whole bunch of other pieces that we're not ready to activate yet and these guys have to stay in this spot until we're ready to activate this thing that's going to happen in seven movies time and i think that is the problem i had because i thought i was enjoying it i was enjoying the flights of fancies there's a bit that has like you know a million scots and a million hopes i was enjoying all these little bits but you, you could feel you could feel it pulling back because it was like oh wait no 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 we can't do that yet oh no no we can't do that with kang yet because we're still, still going to do this and and so you can feel and i feel that the overarching marvel story between all these different films might be holding back the individual films because in the individual films you can't do whatever you want you can't no. chase all the questions you want because the quantum realm there's so much stuff in the quantum realm that i want I, i've finished this thinking i would not mind seeing a quantum realm tv show because there's mm. so much in there there's Going so on. much yeah no no I, I i can relate to that yeah I'm and, gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go. I think toes because I'm really. Okay. It's starting to come up okay, cool. low battery okay. now. Okay, cool. So, but Sean, quickly before you go, how many stars would you give it? Um, I'll give this one a three star. Three star for me. I look forward to what the other guys say. So right, I'll, cool. I'll give this one a three for me. But I'm gonna go because I might need the phone, and I've only got like about seven percent. So all right, do, all right. You, do I'll it, see Sean. you guys later. Love yeah. you. See ya. Bye. Bye. Okay, but Holly, enough from me. What did you think? I very much enjoyed it. But it all my enjoyment sits within the framework of enjoyed it and it's an Ant-Man film. Yep. So I don't, they are less, I wouldn't say, I use this grudgingly, less cerebral. Not that I could really describe any of <laughs> films as cerebral per se. Oh, I don't know, Civil War. Civil, yeah. the, the Captain America ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that is true. And actually there are, I, I'm, I'm going to give touches of, um, a touch of Black Widow have moments of being reasonably cerebral. Yeah, 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 yeah true. Um, all sorts of, you know, moral and ethical questions in there. So I really enjoyed it. I very much walked out thinking this is a solid four out of five, but it is a four out of five for an Ant-Man film. <laughs> and I've not seen a five out of five Ant-Man film. So I always find them a little bit silly and bits of it I always find a little bit irritating. And I can't quite put my finger on why. Yep, yep. But there's just something that always very, very, very slightly grates, but still makes me laugh. So, well, I I can see that. I can really, really see that. Um, with that, I mean, I, I think they are. I think Jonathan Majors, who plays Kang, who is going to be the new big bad in the MCU. I thought he was actually terrifying. I yeah. I thought, I thought as a bad guy, he is genuinely, genuinely terrifying. He just has this thing about him and there's this stillness about him and there's this like there's there's a, there's a line he says there's a line he's there's a line he says to um Ant-Man where he goes and it's just it's almost like a throwaway line. He just goes, "You're lucky I need you." And in that one line and the way he says it, you're kind of like, "Whoa, this dude is not messing about." Yeah, I think you're right. I haven't thought of it. It's the stillness. Yeah. Just it was just this stillness where he he just knows that he can destroy everybody around him at any at any time. He he knows he can destroy everybody. I, I think that there, there's bits about it where I feel like the the inventiveness of it and the inventiveness of the quantum realm does go away a bit. Like 
like I'm thinking, I love the fact that you have all these different creatures. They're not even aliens; they're just sort of creatures because they they and they try not to just do oh guy with something on his face, but they still have some people in this quantum realm who just look like people, and it's kind of like. Uh, that's why so the quantum realm makes me want to explore it it makes me want to explore it more but i think i think that the the performances are good they all work although and i i have and i've heard criticism of the ant-man movies that they don't give hope van dyne which is played who's played by evangeline lily anything to do and in this film i was like oh my god they've done it again she has <laughs> she has nothing to do this film is a lot more about michelle pfeiffer than it is about about um, yeah and Michelle Pfeiffer was clearly enjoying herself. Oh yeah, oh, that yeah. Really, I thought that really came across as that she was having fun. Yeah, I, I think I think Mich- uh, and that's I think the performances really work. And we, by this time, the characters they are a bit fleshed out, quite frankly. And so this film is almost kind of like it's it's like it's like the Avengers if everybody had Ant Man's powers <laughs> kind of thing, a bit like that. Yeah. Where where the, the Ant family is growing and all, but I I. I really, really, I really liked it. I, I was surprised, and you know when you were talking about it being like a, because I was sitting out there going, okay, this is good, this is solid, this is three, this is a, a good three star film. I left from going, okay, it's a three star film. But I was like, no, that was really fun. That was a really fun film, and so, and so for me, I've, I've got to go over to a four because I think it's, it's, it's really fun. It gives me hope for the Marvel universe going forward. However, I still. I have to re- keep reiterating anytime we talk about anything Marvel because the big thing in Marvel is the multiverse. That's the multiverse. They have come out now. They're not sort of dancing around it. It's the multiverse. I mean, the um, the the whole thing that we're going towards is we're going towards a multiversal war where you're going to have all these different factions fighting against each other. And I think it's going to destroy the MCU. I hate the multiverse. I think it leads to, I think it leads to, uh, to lazy storytelling. I think Marvel are spinning too many plates because I think that um, beforehand it used to be that they would be making a film and that film had all of their attention. And I feel like the attention to detail and the attention to quality is being diluted across too many projects. So each one of them doesn't quite hit the same way it is. And I think that the overarching story that all these things need to sit within because they all need to sit within this story and they need to sort of link back to this bigger story of this place where we're going is hampering individual stories that could have been great because if there were there were there, there's quite a few ways that I was looking at I was going oh you know what if they finish the film this way that would be good oh if they finish the film this way that would be good if this character ended up in that place that would be interesting and there were so many avenues where you could see something interesting that could happen but are you at the same time you know they can't do it because there's stuff coming along in six seven films for time that they have to link into and uh, so i thought that they they did a a good balancing act between um giving you something new something crazy something inventive and also sticking to a template which they have to stick to because they're going to have to give you the kang dynasty and go to so many films time i thought they did a good job but at the same time i'm in mourning for all the paths that were not taken can I ask a question as someone who hasn't seen it? Yes. Um, I'm not sure if it will get in there because I'm a bit sporadic. I, I sort of, I did try to watch most of the Marvel output, but yes. I've, I've just almost given up basically on any of the television ones, any of the Disney Plus ones, because yeah. I've just, I've got so far behind that it will be impossible for me. I have to go back to things like Loki, which I haven't, you know, I've got long to catch up on. Yeah. Uh, so how much, but there's moderns with this sort of next phase of Marvel. How much prior knowledge do you need? I mean, is it because I know with some of the films, you you almost needed to see nearly all of them for the for the pieces yeah. to fit together. Whereas this one's where I've I've sort of I've started to miss more than I've seen in the yeah. last few years. I think having seen that, you certainly would have wanted to see the last Ant Man or Ant Man the Wasp and. I think it helps. I think it gives. Oh yeah, it, it does. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Actually, I haven't yeah. seen all of the Marvel films. Like I didn't. I missed. I haven't seen Wakanda Forever, and there's the last I, couple I, I of think... films I have missed out on. So I'm not sure if it's how much of the strings they're pulling together yet, or whether it's still sort of far enough apart that you can start. I think I, it can I think still it, pick I, up on the next arc. I think you can pick up on this film. I think this film is pretty much. It's almost. It's very close to standalone. 
So I think if you've seen the Ant-Man movies and Endgame, I think you're good. Yeah, and I think even without Endgame, you would... No, I think you probably do need Endgame. I think you need Endgame to understand why Ant-Man is... Everyone is thinking Ant-Man is this amazing hero guy. So so I think think the Ant-Man movies and Endgame, Loki season one would help a bit, but not much. Um, you can still understand this without... Uh, let me just put it this way. This is the second time we have seen Kang on screen. So, and I think Kang is going to... There's Where a film was he coming... before? What was he in before? Oh, oh that would be telling. Oh, I see. <laughs> that I was going to be... say, when you said Kang, I'm thinking, am I supposed to know who that is? Some people some people will not know who he is, but he is the new Thanos, essentially. He's a new Thanos. Okay. Has a totally different thing to... that. Uh, so... But uh, but with the whole multiverse thing, I think we're going to see more versions of Kang show up before there's a film called... The next Avengers movie is called Avengers the Kang's Dynasty. And there's okay. going to be quite a few Kangs that we're going to see and a few inflections of Kang before that film comes. But anyway, I would have given it a four. I think, Holly, you said four as well. Yep. Sean said a three. We're going to well um, put that together. But I would say I really enjoyed this and it made... It made me think, okay, maybe Marvel can pull this back because we're now officially in phase five. Phase four was a bit hit and miss, but this is good. Right. And um, now let's see. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I just realized that seeing as Holly has just seemed to have. So Holly has just received what seems to be a food order. Um, no, it's correction. It's 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 wine, olives and nuts as my friend who lives next door is coming around for a drink later. Okay, Ooh. cool. That That counts as food. <laughs> I, yeah. I heard at least I heard at least two food groups in there. Definitely that, two food groups, and wine is a fruit, so made from grapes, which are fruit. So that's three food groups. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. So and so with that, with that case, seeing as you're about to take a bite out of that, would you like to tell us about first bite? Oh, witty! I know, <laughs> I know. I saw that, and I and I've been and I yeah. was like, oh my god, food! First yes. bite! Ah! <laughs> Laughed. I almost did. Yeah. First All right, cool. Bite is a series on netflix um which came out at some point probably this year i think uh i'd seen it showing up as a recommended thing to watch for some time so thought you know why might as well time has come um and the premise is that there are um in this town um a family of um of vampires who are you know lovely friendly people apart from the, the killing people thing and in that family there are there are a mother a whom it turns out is a is a special sort of vampire a husband uh two daughters and a son who is no, a son who is i think a twin of one of the daughters who is not around and is something of a pariah and the older daughter has happily embraced her vampirism and as a as born vampires she and her siblings at some point have to get on and drink blood and yeah she has thoroughly embraced it including the fact that she has this unusual ability that she can uh, control people's memories uh, the uh, youngest child a daughter is um not really comfortable with the idea of getting on and killing somebody and she wants to carry on as normal a life as possible and she's off at school and you know doing school things and being a teenager and at school she meets a girl and she uh, is rather taken by this girl who is new to the school and is very attractive and there are there are smiles and glances and you can see that there is some sort of mutual attraction here it turns out that the girl comes from a family of monster killers who obviously as the name suggests hunt monsters and vampires are monsters so you have this um situation with two young women who are very taken with each other by sorry sorry that was me oh okay that's all right blame me for that then um they get into a relationship together after a number of 
hurdles and you know trying to kill each other and things and their families have to deal with the fact that their daughters are in relationships with people whom they thoroughly disapprove of and there are local tensions increasingly building between vampires and their their long traditions and, and where they've lived peacefully below the radar for many years apart from the killing people but they're quite good at hiding that and the monster hunters and there is stuff going on okay so so i was just checking because i thought something was wrong it's not actually called first bite it's called first kill isn't it yes you are correct it's first kill okay cool okay good good okay oh man that kills my that kills my lovely pun never mind We'll keep it. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep it in. All right, cool. So, so we have this. So, so there's stuff going on. This is this has young adult written all over it. Young yes. adult fantasy written all over oh, it. It's a it's a good Romeo and Juliet, except they are slightly older, therefore slightly less stupid. Yeah, it's um, it's it's kind of like a Romeo and Juliet, but Romeo and Juliet, but they're both um, the same sex. They're both the same sex, and they so is this? Did you ever watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Of course. Okay, of course. Yeah, I, 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 stupid Actually. question. I'm, yeah, stupid question. I apologize. But, <laughs> but but is this is this any different from Buffy and Spike? If Spike was a girl, yes. Okay. Okay. Cool. Good. Yes. Because, very different. All right. Good. Because this is something that I saw, and I saw this come up like you know first kill and everything, and there was all the stuff that Netflix pushes in your face, and I looked at it, and I kind of, and it came across like. Somebody essentially went, "Ooh, let's make Buffy the Vampire Slayer." But imagine if she was gay, and and I and I'll just kind of like uh, I'll just you, and you know you you know you see some shows where they just have that one note concept where it's like, "Ooh, yeah. let's make blah blah blah." But imagine if ah, it's like, uh, "Let's make uh, uh, let's say let's make Hill Street Blues." But imagine if the central character was a dog, that kind <laughs> of thing, <laughs> and and uh, and, and, and this made this this made me wonder this made me wonder if it was just one of those kind of like died on a boat no i mean it's got it's got complexity to it more complex i mean you know relatively speaking it's um it's got a good amount of silliness it is it has you know family conflicts um different ideals you know the sort of classic teen thing of you know fighting against who you are who your family wants you to be versus who you are versus where love takes you oh yeah but it and some of it's quite dark not like insanely not sort of you know not not sitting in a dark room rocking back and forth no. dark yeah. no no and it's not you know g- given my propensity to hide when watching things that are scary um even though i do it compulsively i felt no need to get a cushion out and hide behind it yeah. not level of not that level of dark um i found it very interesting uh which is you know relatively speaking i feel that it it deserves a second watch because i don't think i paid enough attention to it and i think there may be a bit more to it than my you know light attention giving warrants but yeah i'd um i will watch it again because you know i watch everything again but also i want to sort of fill in fill in some of the gaps i thought the cast was good um yeah it was comfortably silly slash completely ridiculous at times i mean obviously i mean it's not coming from the most profound premise is it um but you do have a town where all of these ridiculous things are going on and the town has a history of monsters so you uh, know uh, it's a sunnydale it is there is a there is an element of sunnydale except the town know about it oh okay and there's not a charlene like... harris one isn't there what's that one midnight texas is it is that the one Yes, yes. Well, that's a town full of monsters as well. Yeah, it's this one is not currently full. Of, they don't do not believe it is currently full of monsters. The locals are are oblivious, but are always concerned about the monsters coming back. So it's yeah, it's a it's a fun watch. It's a silly watch, but it's also got a bit of substance to it. All right, cool. How many stars would you give first uh, kill? I'm just, I'm going to give it three. First bitey kill. I'm going to call it first bitey kill. First bitey kill. I think I think it's a solid three. It 
could depend. I mean, it's clearly lined up for a second series because you know whatever isn't these days. Um, oh, oh, although it's on Netflix, it's on Netflix, and and now and now Netflix has become more and more the place of not getting a second season. And First Kill has actually been cancelled. I'm pretty sure it's been cancelled. So there is not going to be a second season of First Kill. Oh well, that's a that's a cliffhanger ending then. I'm going to call it bite, bite, kill, kill. That's it. Bite, bite, kill, kill. Bite, bite, kill, kill. Yes. Well, becoming a bit more ruthless with their bucks. Yeah, it will be a shame not to see a second series of bite, bite, kill, kill. No, no. Honestly, you know, Netflix have become quite ruthless this year. I mean, this year they they have cancelled a lot. A lot of stuff, especially in the YA space, so the young adult space, which means that something like First Kill totally, totally had his neck on the block from the second it was made. So there's a whole bunch of shows that, I mean, there was one called The Bastard Son and His Devil Itself. It's gone. Yeah. Oh, no. Fate. I wanted yeah. to see the second series of that. No second series. Um, Fate, Fate the Wink Saga, that's gone. Um, that was quite boring by the end, two thirds of the way through the second series. So, I'm, I mean, watched the first episode, I got fed up with that. <laughs> get any better. I'm hoping Lock and Key is gone because that bored me. <laughs> I what never about, finished the first season. Smoke and Bone, no. Shadow and Bone. Shadow and Bone. Shadow and Bone. Back? I don't know. I don't. I think. I think it's back, but I'm not sure it was back for one more season and then that's it. So it sort of eight books, so that it sort yeah. of ties in with. I think that there's a new one, Lockwood and Co. Lockwood and Co. from Joel Cornish. Yeah, it's a Ghostbusters sort of thing, isn't it? The yeah. Ghostbusters kind of vein. Apparently, that has been renewed for a second season. I think. Oh, but, good, because I liked that as well. Yeah, but but honestly, with Netflix, you are if you if you go to Netflix if you go Netflix and if you go to Netflix and you're making a, a young adult TV show, you're kind of like you know dicing with death a bit and joel cornish who made lockwood and co he, he he admitted it but he was kind of like hey no one else was giving us the money to make it so the fact is you're either going to get to make one good season of something that you really like or none so and you never know it might get picked up by somebody else afterwards so it, it, it might get it might get picked if, if netflix allows it but we'll see so um now we go back to cinema we go back to cinema and we talk about what's love got to do with it which sharon saw not as you might think. You might think, hang on, have we already heard of that film? Wasn't that the Tina Turner biopic? And yes, there was a Tina Turner biopic starring Angela Bassett and what's his face? Um, Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, um, which was Oscar nominated. This is not that film. This is yeah. a film that has everything. Well, essentially, I think it's got Lily James and Lily James is in danger. Oh, yeah. she, she is ubiquitous. She is everywhere. And she is in danger of becoming the British rom-com queen or the British rom-com person. And um, and I think, and this this might be, I don't know, because he had this, the poster of this film made me think, oh God, the poster of this film made me think, I know exactly what this film is, which may be wrong. And Sharon, I'll let you talk to us about the film. But I think the fact that you had Lily James on a poster in a, in a, in what begins as a friendship and is going to end up in like, you know, some sort of unrequited love is going to end up in a relationship with a South Asian man. And I'm like, didn't we just see this woman yesterday? <laughs> yeah. It's like, didn't we see it yesterday? And so it's, it, it, yeah, so essentially the poster and the advertising for this film has not done much to make me think this is anything worth, worth seeing. But Sharon, tell us about what's love got to do with it. What's love got to do? Yeah, it starts off with, the main protagonist, as you're right, is played by Lily James. Uh, she grew up in sort of this London suburb where, and with her mum, Emma Thompson. Mm -hmm. And their next door neighbours, the Shahs, a family where there's a son of a similar age to her and a, well, two sons and a daughter. Um, and they are a family of Pakistani origin or sort of, they're the sort of subcontinent origin anyway. And their Muslim family, but they become very close over the years. They grew up together. They've always been in relationship together. They had fun, and they're just they've been mates and pals for a long, long time. And Lily Jones sort of moved away from home, and she's become a, a journalist, a uh, makes a documentary maker and a journalist. Yep. So she makes yep. these sort of like sort of edgy, um, cutting edge sort of documentaries, and shows. She has been given this sort of brief that she wants. They want her to make something real, but a bit less sort of you know serious because she's done things on like you know domestic abuse and on various different really hard hitting subjects. And they say, yeah, we want you to sort of make something a bit you know more edgy, but a bit more happy. 
And so her her best friend, her neighbour, has decided that, you know, he's now in his 30s, he's a doctor, he's a registrar, and it's time he settled down, and he's um, decided to go down his traditional family route, which is to have an arranged marriage that hmm. in his family that it has worked for his parents and his, one of his siblings has had an arranged marriage. And that it's something that they, he thought, well, you know, it's worked for a lot of people I see around me more than conventional where someone you meet someone and then these relationships fall apart. He's going to yeah. trust in the tradition. And so he had, says, yes, I will agree to an arranged marriage. And so he, you see the process by which he meets his prospective wife and how Lily James's character decides that this is the perfect opportunity I need to make a documentary that will cover with their consent and will, will, will she see this sort of side of a culture that we haven't seen before. So she is that becomes like a documentary maker. She follows the course of this relationship and the sort of the courtship and the, how the families get involved and how you don't really get to know your prospective spouse, more or less it's, they saw, they say several times in the film, this is not about falling in love, this is about walking into love. Mm. How sometimes you, um, if people sort of work well on paper, and then it may take a bit of time, but you, you know, love grows rather than it appears, it, it grows. And so that was the sort of premise, and you see them walking her, her sort of, trying to sort of find her way through her own romantic feelings that her mum has said, oh, yeah, this, my vet is going to be perfect for you. So her help, she's trying to form her own, like um, following her head rather than her heart. And yeah. you see her trying to form this relationship with her her mother's vet. Um, and and then it draws the conclusion where he goes through this marriage and not as all as it would appear. Yeah, mm, <laughs> when you yeah. do get to meet someone for the first time and when there's the veil comes off as it were literally yeah. um, that the, what you see is not always what's been what you expected yeah yeah oh, so, so i don't want to give the ending away but to be in some ways the ending is entirely predictable <laughs> the ending's on the poster so yes. it's Yeah. So in some ways, I thought it was interesting because again, it's outside my culture. Though though saying that, I know I've got a couple of friends who are of Indian heritage, but they're Christians from from an Indian background, and they had an arranged marriage because Mm -hmm. it's not just a Muslim thing. It can be Christians from India, Christians from Bangladesh and Pakistan. Also, you know, it's a cultural thing as well as not sort of just religion, but they they do emphasize the fact that this is like a a Muslim ceremony as well as um, yeah. From you know, sort of Pakistani Indian heritage, so it's interesting. Um, but I found it; I thought it was a lost opportunity. Actually, <laughs> I thought I'd like to see that film of someone walking into love rather than falling into love, and it sets it up as being you know this doing something a bit different with a rom com. And they get so far, then they go, you know what? We're going to do a normal rom com, and so they just oh, throw I'll... all that away and they just fall back on the the conventionalities. It's like okay. it'd be like Ant Man. It'd be like Ant Man is like, look, we're in the quantum realm. It's all crazy. It's all, ooh, it's all, oh, 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 too crazy, too crazy. Pull it back, pull it back, pull it back. <laughs> yeah, and this is like, a, hey, no, no, we can't have a a romantic comedy where they don't fall in love. We can't have a walking into love romance. It doesn't work. Yeah. Sorry, my ears fall out again. Yeah. yeah so okay. I thought it would. To me, it was a bit like, you know what? This could have been interesting. This could have been doing something different with uh, taking this sort of conventional form and then do something different with it but no 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 they just fell back on the usual traits and i think yeah. i like lily james she is likable which is probably why she does appear in normally everything but i found emma thompson in this was there's two versions of emma thompson you get like the serious emma thompson where she's like i'm acting now and then you know that she's going to be acting throughout the whole film and then you get like a panto version and oh, yeah, i yeah, yeah. got i got the feeling that we got last panto. christmas last christmas was definitely oh. panto emma thompson this yeah. is, and I think this, to me, this was Pantom Thompson. She was like embracing her multiculturalism by, you know, you know, by painting her house in really bright colours and wearing, you know, sort of semi-ethnic clothes, if you can use that phrase. So I was a bit like, you know, okay, bit, Panto yeah, version. I've, I've heard a bit about the Emma Thompson character and people are kind of like saying, uh, and people are saying things along the lines of, and I think this film, this film is a kind of, is the kind of film that I can think that would, it was set off my colonialism alarm. <laughs> kind of thing it was set up by colonia i'm like uh, but like you know people talk about the fact that oh but look at her she's she's really really um friendly with her neighbors and she has absolutely no problem having the food and everything like that but every now and then she'll come up with something that's actually really really offensive or really really like racist or anything like that and i was just kind of thinking 
yeah, I know people like that. <laughs> I, I, I know people like that. I've, I've been in churches with people like that where they're really, really nice and everything like that. But once it comes to the, like, the cultural thing, there's just something. That, and so so I, 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 there's bits about this, like the, the whole idea that, oh, finding your own way and falling in love with somebody and everything like that is just so much more superior to having like an arranged uh, an arranged marriage and and for me there is this thing in there that essentially says oh the english culture is way better than the indian culture or the or mm-hmm. or the or like you know some tribes in nigeria or essentially most of the rest of the world is like we are elevating our stuff above yours and and that Mm, it's yeah, I agree with you. I want to see the romantic comedy that's about an arranged marriage and how that actually works. And how I know it can that, work, yeah. Yeah, I know that there, there are some bits in there's there's a film called Monsoon Wedding. Well, that is an Indian film, <laughs> and and there there's there's a there's a tri- It's almost like an Indian love, actually, to be honest with you. But yeah. there's a the, yeah, there's, there, but there's there's a storyline in there that's all about this and how that works and all that. But I I think. Let's explore how this actually works. Like, show me a film about a mar- couple that have married fifty years and had an arranged or assisted marriage. I want to see that film. Yeah, they um, use the term assisted marriage. Yeah, sorry, that's the term they're using it because uh, the parents, you know, the parents of the the um the male character, I forgot his name. The, um, his, the actor is Shazad Latif. That's it. He's in quite, been a lot of things, hasn't he? Um, yeah, he's in Star Trek Discovery. Dis- Discovery. And- yep. All sorts of things, um, but yeah, he's his parents have were like have had this assisted marriage, and they again they talk they're the ones who sort of use the phrase you know this is about walking to love, and you can see that they have a genuine affection with them. I'm thinking this is good, this is what you want to see this sort of positive reinforcement of like uh, someone's culture and the fact yeah. that how we can you can do things differently. You don't have to fall back on the same yeah. old, same old, same old, and the fact that in some ways it's like if someone has been like have a disastrous love life. You know, why keep on making the same mistakes again and again and again? And in this film, it's almost like they they gave lip service to saying, you know, we were, we recognise that there's there might be value in this, and then they just go, actually, no, 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 we want to we want to the whole falling love thing. Okay. And I just thought it's an opportunity wasted for me. Uh, all right, cool. I have a, I have a daughter yelling for me, so I'm just going to tell you. But um, there was a rom com that I saw and looked like I saw the post and saw everything about it, and I thought. This looks like everything I'm complaining about with the rom-com. Like, you know how it's going to go. It's called Somebody I Used to Know. It's on Prime Video. It stars Alison Brie, directed by Dave Franco. And the film kicks off. And essentially, this film looked so predictable. So predictable. And I was like, I'm not going to bother with this because I think I know how this is going to end. And it was one of these things where, you know, there's a trope where everything is about... There's somebody who seems to be in a happy relationship, but obviously this is Hollywood, so definitely that has got to be a lie. Nobody can be in a happy relationship. You have to go. I have to go. My uh, cool. arrived. Okay, cool. Yeah. But okay, but before you go, somebody I used to know, I skipped all. The, uh, I, I was so against this, I skipped all the way to the end of somebody I used to know, and it surprised me. It surprised me. Like oh. the, it, it is not. It did not go how I thought it would go. I and. So now, but now I've seen the end, and I can't be able to go back to the rest of the film. But, <laughs> but I would say, I would say, somebody I used to know that might surprise you as a rom com with a with a bit of a twist. Oh, curious. All curious. right. Okay. okay. Cool. Enjoy the the nuts and the olives evening. and the grapes and everything. <laughs> Wonderful. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Okay. So all that is left to talk about. Yeah. All the, then there were two. We've been losing people this entire podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All that's left to talk about is um, Fleischman is in trouble. And my score, I haven't scored it. Oh, how much? How many? How, what score would you give um, someone uh, I used to know? Two stars. I mean, I'd give it a two. I mean, what's love got to do with it? Two stars for what's love got to do with it? Yeah, they, I think it was an opportunity wasted. All right, cool. And now we go to Fleischman is in trouble. Fleischman is in trouble is on um is on Disney Plus. And this is a, a it's an adaptation of a book, from what I can understand. I never heard about the book, but it's an adaptation of the book. And it is Jesse Eisenberg stars as a guy called Dr. Toby Fleischman, who is a Jewish um, New Yorker 
who is married with two kids. But when you first meet him in the in the book, he has recently gotten divorced. He uh, he is co-parenting his two kids with his uh, with his ex-wife. He is a doctor, and he thinks like you know, being a doctor is its own reward and everything like that. However, his wife, because she started off her life with nothing, is really really social climbing. She's a theater agent, and she's all about we need to live on the Upper East Side. We need to have this really really great apartment. We need to put the kids in all of these classes. We need to have all these different friends and all that. And that was a large part of what broke them apart. Um, said, let's um, that's a large part of what broke them apart and said and uh, led to them being divorced. And the whole premise of this is that he is enjoying his single life. He has gotten onto all the apps. He has found a bevy of ladies who will have sex with him, <laughs> like in New York. And the first episode is all about him going out there and doing that. At the end of the episode, you he gets a voicemail from his wife um, who says, um, I've had to go off for somewhere. The kids are with you. And she has snuck into his house in the middle of the night, dropped his kids off in the house, and she's gone off. And he's like, no, this isn't fair. I'm not supposed to have them until tomorrow. But he has the kids and he goes on there. And then, But as time goes on, she isn't picking up her phone. She isn't answering anything. He's trying to get in touch with her. And it appears that she has just abandoned the kids with him and she has disappeared. And the show morphs because it's things like the show has a lot of narration, um, which I'm guessing is probably read directly from the book. But the narration is neither him nor his wife. The narration is his best friend, his best female friend, who he gets back in touch with. So there's three of them who went to Israel after they finished uh, probably college. No, no, high school. After they finished high school, they went to Israel for like a year. Then they came back to the, to the States. And he, he hasn't spoken to them in like 12 years because his wife didn't really get on with them and all that. But now that he's he gets back in touch with them and it's all about... And it becomes this meditation on growing older and whether you, the person you were when you were younger is actually who you were, re, who you really were, and whether you're supposed to become, when you get older, is that okay to get older or have you lost something of who you were supposed to be? And, uh, and essentially, it's almost kind of like everybody in this film is having, a, in this show is having a midlife crisis, but a different type of midlife crisis. And they're asking all those questions. The, and the show that it seems to be in the first episode is totally not the show it is by the end because the show it seems to be seems to be like a sort of sex in the city this man going around and seeing how many things he can stick his member into in new york and but by the end totally different show it's like it's almost as if it was like just it's like game game of thrones reel them in reel them in reel them in aha political intrigue <laughs> and it's yeah and so I really enjoyed it. I, uh, this is one of the few things I've found myself recently watching and then just sort of like zooming all the way through to the end. There's eight episodes and I finished watching all of them within about two days. Wow. And so, yeah, so I, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was quite good. I feel like Jesse, Eisen, Jesse Eisenberg, he's playing... And this is probably insensitive to say, but in film trope language, if you say New York... New York Jewish man, it seems like the only way you can play that is like some version of Woody Allen. Yeah, it's like Woody Allen, yeah, as you said. Yeah, the, and, and, and it's... And, and that's it what you me, think of when you hear those phrases. Yeah, but, but it, it makes... Because because there's bits of this where it looks like Jesse Eisenberg is doing a Woody Allen impression. It's like with the, the voice, the everything, the mannerisms. And I'm thinking... And I'm thinking... So are you trying to tell me, is every Jewish New Yorker man neurotic... <laughs> neurotic almost germophobic kind of like you know can hardly handle life like socially awkward and i'm thinking but that seems to be all you are presented with and that grated with me a bit because i was thinking hey i don't know maybe that is what jewish male Jew, uh, new york jews are like maybe that's what they're like but for me i'm like oh for goodness sake not again <laughs> not just another person who just looks like yeah. woody allen are you just trying to tell me that Woody Allen is the archetypal New York Jew. I don't know. I don't know. But um, that, that got a bit on my nerves. But I thought that the performances were great. Lizzie Kaplan as the friend. Um, Seth, oh, not Seth, no, Adam Brody as his best, uh, his male best friend is good. The kid actors are really, really good. The kid actors are really, really good because the daughter is kind of like almost like a clone of her mom and can't stand Fleischman. <laughs> and the son is like, you know, a lot more kind of, oh, yeah, dad, yeah. And it's almost kind of still like, dad, you're my hero, that kind of thing. And it's a bit more like him. And you have Claire Danes, Claire Danes, who's playing, who plays his wife, Rachel. And although there's bits about this, talking about to, talking about Jesse Eisenberg, sort of copying, um, what's his name, Woody Allen, 
there's bits about this where Claire Danes, her her performance is very, very, very reminiscent of her performance in Homeland as as what was her name? Carrie something. It wasn't yeah. Carrie. No. It wasn't Carrie Fisher. Well, anyway, yeah, the woman in, in Homeland. It's that is very, very reminiscent, and there's there's some beats where you're kind of like, oh, okay, did they not realize that this was going to look just like Homeland when they cast <laughs> when they cast it in this? But all in all, I thought it was quite good. I thought it was uh, it was they they are the the ending. I find and I I think I've come to this conclusion. If you're really really enjoying something so much so that you're sort of zooming through it, I feel like the ending can only disappoint. And the ending can only disappoint because it means it's over, and it means that there's no much more. <laughs> so the the ending of this, there were still storylines that I was like, but what about that? What about that? I want closure. I want to know how that. Don't give me the artistic thing and say it's up to me to figure out what that means. No, tell me how that ends. <laughs> and so there was a little bit of that towards the end, but um, all in all, I think it was good, and I'll give this a four out of five. So uh, four out of five uh, for Flashman is in trouble. Um, I would recommend it, Sharon, but be warned, be warned, especially the first episode, there's a hell of a lot of nipples. Uh-oh. So, <laughs> there's a hell of a lot of nipples, bum cheek. <laughs> there's a bit where someone's naked in a swimming pool, and you see from a distance, but you see it. And it's, uh, and, oh, but that lessens as you go through the episodes, and as it, it it's almost kind of like, Actually, yeah. It's almost kind of like it's adolescent at the beginning, but as it goes, as you go old, it gets it, it grows up. It's almost as if the show grows up. Yeah. But that's it. All right, cool. Who do you think has won this week? I think it's going to be streaming Netflix and Friends this week. It is, it is streaming Netflix and Friends. Five, a five, a three, and a four. That's a hard score to beat. That's a hard to beat. Yeah, <laughs> it's a hard score. To and a game of cards. Yeah, you would have had that hand. Yes, yes, and and even if we took even if we took the highest score that everything on TV had, we had a four or four and a two, so so unfortunately, what's love got to do with it? Got the wrong couple together and hold cinema beneath the beneath the waterline this week. But until next week, I know I know we're dropping people, and you're probably one of us is probably about to drop. I have a kid yelling for me at the moment. Until next week, it's a goodbye from me, and a goodbye from me. And we will figure out what is in the cinema, what we're going to watch. But thank you so much for listening. Bye. (laughs)